Good day, friends. I'm Dr. John, and uh, welcome to Amplified Living Podcasts. Now, I've got to tell you, this is a little uncomfortable for me. I never once thought I'd be doing podcasts, and uh, let me just share with you what got me here really quickly. Over 25 years, I've been treating patients in the office, and yeah, it's all about you know, do work in chiropractic and work in healing and helping people where they're out and doing the physical things, but I often found, and I was also, also uh, my manager, my wife, she would always tell me, you talk too much. And uh, I always found out that the coaching that we would do in the sessions was not, was equally as important, if not more important in some cases, to help people transition from wherever they were in pain or discomfort or you know, minimal living to no pain, no discomfort, or amplified living to get them from point A to point B, there was always some element of coaching involved. So uh, I thought, oh, we're doing this on an individual basis, right? And every time I would do something like that, every time I would work with a person, I think to myself, how many more people would benefit from the information that I'm sharing with you right now? And I often found myself repeating many, many, many things over. And now that I'm still practicing, I'm here in Australia, I am still doing it. So I thought, how can I share this information with more people to get the benefit so that more people could amplify their life? And it could be simple, like getting rid of pain, getting rid of anxiety, amplifying your strength, your passion, your purpose, you know, finding your way, right? Anyway, um, I started this little little um, uh, invitation to Ask Dr. John. And this Ask Dr. John, people submitted some questions in, and uh, I had the ability to just sort of like review them, kind of think about them for a little while, and then hopefully shout them out and answer some of their questions. And I found them really, really interesting and super beneficial. So let's dig right in. Here's where we're going to just start transforming things, turning the switch, and uh, the first question, let's get to uh, the questions. Let me bring this up. Hmm. Let's go with Jesse. Jesse. Jesse says, I do CrossFit. Is it a good idea to do CrossFit in the morning and hot yoga at night? Or what's the best way to do it? So if you don't know already, uh, I own Fire Shaper, which is a collective of hot yoga studios in America and the United States. And I am a chiropractor and I love exercise. I've been a martial artist for so many years, since I was 10. And I think the best way to answer this question is to expand it a little bit. To not just limit it to CrossFit and hot yoga, right? Because... What are they essentially, right? CrossFit, this intense, you know, um, exercise regimen where you're going hard and fast and you have short breaks in between um, and it's goal-oriented. Uh, it could involve lots of repetitions. It could involve a lot of cardiovascular work. could involve a lot of strength work. And hot yoga and so it could be very cardiovascular as well. It's a massive process of going through could be a 60-minute, 75-minute, 90-minute. Could be less, could be more. Depends on your, your studio that you go to or if you're practicing on your own. But it's this practice where essentially you're digging into this 
um, thing called your body. You're sweating because it's, well, if you're America in America and you're listening to this, that's 104 degrees. And then if you're in Australia, it's roughly around 40 degrees with 50% humidity. So you're doing this practice, this hot yoga practice, and it's a lot of stretching. There is some strengthening. It's certainly not CrossFit. But you can see how they complement each other, right? Well, uh, I think it's a great question, Jesse. And if we were to expand it, it could be any activity like a CrossFit type of activity. It could be just going to the gym and lifting weights. It could be hot yoga or it could be just normal yoga in a normal room. It doesn't have to have the element of the heat. It could be uh, martial arts. It could be like a jujitsu session or it could be a normal karate session or judo. Or it could be kung fu. It could be anything. It's where you're mixing these two different activities in the same day. So what I'll say about that is, and excuse me, it's a little warm in here. Um, what's your goal? Ultimately, it boils down to what your goal is. Now, if you're an uh, extreme athlete and you're using these modalities, and it could be training for an Olympic event, it could be training for some other competition, and you're using these modalities to improve your physiology, your mindset, whatever it might be. You have to consider that the more you do, the more in this like creative growth type of activity, which is what CrossFit and hot yoga is, this creative, um, implementive, active growth um, activity, right? Where you're creating things. And you have to balance that with how you're recovering from those activities. And because your growth and your improvement is not necessarily dependent upon only how much work you're doing, but how well you're recovering from that work. And that's one of the more critical ideas that I think a lot of people miss. And they often put all this effort in, which I see. And I used to be that too. I can remember back in the day, five hours in the gym and then, you know, eating and sleeping and never really considered how much I was recovering, how much supplementation I was taking, how much sleep I was getting. What was, what was I, what was I doing after I was done training and the list goes on. Um, I'd be partying all night, training all day. <laughs> not quite a good mix, fun, but not quite a good mix for optimum results, right? So consider your goal. If you're elite and you're practicing to have an elite body and an elite um, skill set, well, then maybe, yes, you could do these things. But on the flip side of that, you have to have an antidote for what work you're doing here you have to have an antidote over here that can counterbalance it, that can create this uh, relationship so that you can recover from your activity. Thereby, then you can go and do it again and do it again and do it again. And hence, the theory would then be constantly improve. So do you have the time to sleep? Do you have the time to rest? Are you getting the proper nutrition in between sessions, during sessions, after sessions, before sessions? Are you taking pre exercise supplements are you taking post exercise supplements are you getting adjusted are you getting massaged are you getting there are so many different things that you could be doing to recover from your activity the question is are you doing them and at to what degree so if you're putting all this work in for action action power amplification do 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 but you're not recovering from that do well then you'll just be do do doing all over yourself and getting nowhere and so you'll often see this uh, with people who have been training quite a lot, training hard, but their results aren't reflective of the effort that they're putting in, which is fascinating because 
when you really work with a person like that, you can dumb down the effort quite a lot if you improve how well they're recovering from the effort and that will amplify the results. So you'll get better results with less effort, which sounds silly, but you're putting the effort into recovery and it can be an effort. And that's why a lot of people don't do it because it is an effort. It's an effort to sleep eight hours a night for some people, some people not. Some people it's quite easy, but other people it's like four and six. I don't know if I can go to eight. I got too busy of a life. I got kids. I got things. I got jobs. I got you name it. You got it. So how much effort you're putting into actually physically recovering from your work is, is rather important. So can you do them in the session? The answer is yes. Um, and the best way to do it depends upon what it is that you're trying to achieve. So let me address that part of the question. So can you do it? Yes. Depending on your goal. Now, if you're not an extreme athlete, let me just finish that thought before I move on. Then is it really meeting your goal? Do you really need to be doing it on the same day? Could we find a better way to meet your goal? If there was a better way to meet your goal, what would that way look like? And by asking those questions, we'll be able to find and discover the answer for your specific needs, your specific goals. Let's go back to the question and let's make believe it is the right thing to do. Let's answer this question from that point of view. So what do you require in CrossFit to be safe, to make gains? Because... I mean, most people who are doing CrossFit, it's all about how, many, how much gains you're making, right? Are you improving session after session or every week after week, every month after month? Um, and if you're not improving, um, why, right? So uh, uh, I guess is if you're going to do it and you're doing CrossFit, right, what do you need to be able to do it successfully? Well, the first thing you need is you need strength. Um, you need stability. Um, and you need protection, you know, which is really interesting because your body has to have the strength to protect your joints and your tissues from being injured. So there's an element of tension that is required in order for you to, let's say, do CrossFit successfully. Let's flip CrossFit, uh, CrossFit, CrossFit and pop the gym in there and just say, okay, well, I'm going to go train weights. Well, you need the same thing. You need to protect your joints. You need to protect your ligaments, your tendons, your muscle fibers. Um, all those things need a layer of protection. Now, what's happening in your hot yoga practice? Now, oftentimes, what's really interesting is that you're breaking down your protection. You're breaking down your ability to um, withstand, um, let's say you're breaking, your you're breaking down your ability to withstand um, strong impulses or strong actions. So, in other words, you do a hot yoga practice and all your joints are open. All your ligaments, uh, all your tendons are lengthened and your muscle tissue is lengthened and your ligaments are warm. The tissue itself, start, they're starting to repair themselves on the inside of your body from that type of activity. And then you load weight on your body and you do repetitions or you do jumps or you start to go for a run or you know something like that. And that second activity causes an additional load on top of your ligaments, on top of your joints, on top of your tissues that are not in the condition or preparedness to be able to handle that load. And do you see how they don't mix? Like um, one doesn't make the other better. And, it, and I remember when I was a child, we used to stretch before an activity. And now, let's say a track and field activity or something like that, we used to stretch before we would do that activity. And now that doesn't happen. Um, there's not much stretch 
going on before that activity. Warming up, yes, but certainly not deep stretching, okay? So if the deep stretching is not going on, the, answer, the question is, is, well, why isn't that deep stretching going on? Well, the answer is because we've discovered over that period of time that it's not conducive to your body getting better at the activity that you're doing, especially because you didn't have those protective mechanisms in place. So all your tissue was long, had these long fibers that weren't really, weren't really ready or prepared to handle a strong load. And um, so I guess what am I getting to? Essentially... I wouldn't be doing hot yoga before certainly that kind of activity. Uh, that's, a, that's, def that's definitely something I, I would avoid doing. And in the past, I have done that. I remember um, in my studio in Westwood, New Jersey, I have a fly that's bothering me. Uh, my studio in Westwood, New Jersey, I'd be practicing hot yoga, I'd do a 90-minute hot yoga session, and then I would go directly um, literally, the doors would close on one side of the room, the doors would open on the other side, and in would filter in a group of guys that we, we trained in Kung Fu. We'd be in a full frog button uniform, the black uh, Kung Fu uniform, and we would train in, while well, the heat would be off, but the room would be still tempered to 104 degrees, we would train in that room for another hour and a half, two hours. And I was able to do that for a little while. I had quite a lot of success. I was able to get uh, bigger jump spin moves. Uh, I'd go deeper into stances. I'd have a much wider range. But what happened eventually is, is I didn't have the protective mechanisms there and I eventually wore myself up because I wasn't doing enough of the recovering. So, um, I would, you know, your body's just not in this state that's conducive to the, getting the best result from that mix. Now, if I was going to do it, if I look back in retrospect, I might flip it. So if I was to do CrossFit or if I was to weight, lift weights or I was to do martial arts, I might do that first and then do the hot yoga second, whereas the hot yoga would then alleviate the tension that was created in, the, in that one activity. So you go from this really tense activity to this other activity that has a lot more potential to open things and to create change, yeah? And, uh, and there, by that formula, you would then get a better result. Still on the flip side of that, you still have to consider what we spoke about or what I spoke about before. How much are you actually recovering from that? Because all that activity requ requires recovery. And um, so some of the simple things are, in between those activities, are you consuming some sort of nutrient? And if you are con consuming a nutrient, right, it can't be too much because the hot yoga practice doesn't like that. Like you can't have too much in your body to do that successfully. Like you get it done, but not to really deep, you don't really get to deep layers of your body. If you want to get really deep, you have to be you know, more or less empty on the inside, empty of food. Um, not nutrients, but food. Uh, this way your body's not busy digesting while you're trying to stretch. And the same thing would, ha would go for lifting weights or CrossFit or martial arts or, um, you know, any ballistic or uh, sort of a high-impact activity. That would be the same general rule. You have to have uh, pretty much no food in your system digesting. You can't have that heavy process of digestion while you're trying to perform at an elite level. So I guess the best way to do it would be to do your high-impact stuff first and then do your hot yoga training later and just know that you've got to have to spend the rest of that time recovering. Are you resting afterwards? Are you taking the right supplements? Are you amplifying what you're doing in your nutrients to meet your demands of the body, which often people aren't. What happens after that, if you don't, is you break down over time. So you can do it successfully for a little while, some people longer than others, uh, but eventually you just peter out. 
and your body will suffer an injury. You'll have a, oh, this bum shoulder and it just goes out or I tore my hamstring. I was just going too hard or something along those lines. And it's not really the bum shoulder. It's not really the hamstring. It's the fact that you were depleting yourself over a period of time and you finally got to the point where your body, yeah, it just couldn't do it anymore. And so hence you wind up with an injury. This often happens with many people, even doing single activities, let alone doing a double. Some people can do it for successfully for many years because they're tough. They're tough as nails. However, they turn into a nail. Do you get it? Like, so you're tough as nails. You can take a lot, right? You're strong. You have that capacity to like withstand, you know, um, high impulses and high intensity. Like you could just do it tough as nails. Not everybody's the same. And then they do do that for a long period of time and they become tough as nails until they don't have the energy anymore to maintain that level of toughness. They require something else, right? So now they're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and they're not as tough anymore as nails. They don't have that freedom of movement. They don't have that um, flexibility anymore. And because slowly over a period of time that was degrading, that was like wearing them down. And because they were wearing themselves down. So essentially, recovery still being the most, you know, the most important thing and matching what you're doing to meet your goals. So the question comes reverse, rolls back to where we started this conversation earlier. And that is, by doing them together in the same day, is it helping you meet your goal? Now, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to just purely on time. You're not going to get the stretch in. And you know how important that stretch is for you. Well, then you have to manage that, don't you? You have to manage that by recovering better, by taking better nutrients in, perhaps pre-workout supplements, perhaps post-workout supplements, perhaps supplements in between those training sessions that aren't hard to digest. And thereby giving your body the nutrients then to work from so that when you're done training, you have a reserve of nutrients that your body can repair from and you can build and you can improve. I think ultimately that's what it is. That, and most people want to improve. Nobody ever says, oh, I can't wait to beat myself down into oblivion just so I can do X, Y, Z. Well, I may, maybe not, unless they're focused on one particular thing. And that one particular thing might be winning, right? So if it's a competition, you're focused, your single most important goal has nothing to do with your health. Their single most important goal has everything to do with winning. And then you often see that um, in the UFC. It's talked about a lot because the UFC is quite popular, and I like following it and uh, boxing, uh, but mostly the UFC because I think that's been highlighted a lot with them lately because of all the cross-training that they do. But how many injuries happen in their training camps? How many injuries happen in training? So how many fighters are actually stepping into the octagon already injured and then having to fight supposedly at a top level but not they're not in their peak state. I mean, they may be in their peak mental state, or maybe not. If you're suffering from injury, the question is, if you're suffering from an injury, are you in your peak state? And the answer is likely no. Because there's someone somewhere inside, even if you tuck it away and you hide it in the back corners of your brain, there's a part of your subconscious knows that you're injured. And therefore, then you cannot be in a peak state. So we're getting smarter. We certainly are. People are training not as intensely. Um, they're taking the time to lead up to their main event to train less and rest more. Um, and we're seeing that uh, across the board. And science is starting to prove it as well, which is really cool. So, Jesse, I hope I uh, answered your question about uh, the CrossFit thing and combining it with hot yoga. And if it was me and I had to do it, I would do the hot yoga second. And... Um, 
I would really consider what you're doing to uh, repair your body. Actually, uh, and now that we're just talking about that, let's stay in this sort of question. And I'm going to scroll down to a question from Sharon. Now, Sharon stopped me in one of my studios and she said to me, can I ask you a question? And I said, yes. She asked me, is it okay to take pre-workout supplements before a yoga class? And, and if it is okay, what, what would you recommend? And I, I thought about it for a minute. I find it super fascinating. And I thought to myself, well, first of all, the first thought in my brain was, well, what is it about her yoga practice that makes it different from, let's say, going to the gym and exercising? Because obviously, in her mind, she has a different rule for what the two are and what she gets from them, which is incredible because um, that makes her then question whether or not what she was doing before the gym would be beneficial before her yoga classes. So, all right, I'll give you my, uh, some of my opinions about this. So I'll say yes, um, and then I'll say it depends. <laughs> um, I'll say yes on the idea that your pre-workout supplements are healthy. Okay, because there's a lot of pre-workout supplements that people take that I wouldn't put in the healthy category. I'd put them in the effective category, but I wouldn't put them in the healthy category, which takes us to a slight derailment from the question, but it's very much so the, um, related to this question, um, and that is, what is health? Well, see, that's probably one of the more fascinating questions that I ask patients when they come in and see me and they tell me that, oh, I'm pretty healthy. And I just listen. And then I ask them, okay, well, define health for me. What does health mean to you? And the answers we get are varied. What I might hear might be, oh, as long as I'm six feet above ground, I'm healthy, which is a very broad type of health. Uh, somebody might say, as long as I'm uh, not sick, I'm healthy. Uh, somebody else might say, uh, even if I get sick, as long as I'm eating healthy foods, I'm healthy. Um, another person might say, as long as I'm, I'm clear in my mind, I'm healthy. And some people have multiple requirements in order to, to satisfy their definition of what health is. So I'll give you some ideas, like what's healthy to me. Healthy to me is clarity of mind, ease of movement strength. Um, health to me is having the capacity to feel and, um, and not to be distracted by my own issues. Uh, health to me is having not necessarily a balance in my brain. Like I don't necessarily have to be balanced. Oh, I'm always happy or I'm always sad. That's not, not, not really healthy for me because we can talk about mental health as well. Healthy for me when it comes to my mind is, uh, is that I have an understanding of integration of different emotions. So if I feel the different emotions, I don't you know, push them away. I'm like, yeah, yeah. At the moment, I'm feeling angry right now. At the moment, I'm feeling frustrated right now. At the moment, I'm feeling really happy right now. And is it all perfect? No, but if I have that balance and that balance of understanding, then generally what that means is, is that I won't linger Especially, uh, especially I won't linger in especially destructive emotions for any period of time because there's a consciousness about it. 
When it comes to my body, I need to have strength. I need to have mobility, flexibility. I need to feel a level of comfort. I don't want to be in chronic pain. I don't mind pain, but pain that, um, that, that is chronic and debilitative and destructive that literally feels like it's ripping the soul out of your body, that pain is not okay. And as long as I don't have that happening in me, it's okay to have a bit of pain here and there especially if it's what I call safe pain. Safe pain is, is like, okay, listen, I'm not in trouble right now, but there's some stuff happening in my body that I have to address because the reality is this pain's not going to go away. So as you can see, uh, and if, if I think about it more, I could probably come up with more elements of what health is to me, but health can be quite expansive. So you have to decide what is healthy to you. Um, some people might not take on board the fact that they're ingesting tremendous amounts of caffeine as an unhealthy issue. Whereas that if you said to me, because of the way I define things, uh, I'm taking pre-workout supplements that have stimulants in them, I'd say, mm, is it necessary? Like, what is it, what is happening with you that you feel like that you have to be stimulated, okay, in order to be able to, to do this practice? What is going on with you that you feel like you're missing something and you require those stimulants? Now, if you were competing, uh, let's say in a CrossFit Games, just because we were talking about CrossFit before, and, and I don't do CrossFit. Actually, I've never done CrossFit. I've done lots of different things, just not that version of exercise. Uh, but let's just you know, talk about it for a second. It's pretty obvious what it is. We, we, we see it, and, and it's well advertised, so we have an idea of what it is about, and I have plenty of friends who do it. If I was participating in the CrossFit Games and I required something to give me the edge, well, then if, you're, if you learn how to take those pre-workout supplements that are still stimulant-oriented, then you, would you could use them to get your outcome, which is to win. Knowing that it's not necessarily the healthy thing to do, healthy thing to do you wouldn't do that all the time. Uh, but there are many supplements that you can take, pre-workout supplements. Like you can use creatine. You can use different amino acids. You could use different vitamins and different herbal concoctions to help um, create an effect in your body. There's definitely, for example, by, by consuming beet juice, you could stimulate nitric, nitric oxide release in your body and, um, and thereby then dilate your blood vessels so that when you breathe, you're getting more oxygen uptake. Ter terrific example of using a good quality pre-workout supplement to create an effect. Creatine has been, been deemed to be safe. So if you're doing a yoga practice that's highly dependent upon your muscle tissue and you burn through your muscle um, fuel pretty quick, well, you can use a supplement like that. Uh, so yes, so you can use pre-workout supplements prior to your yoga class. And, and remember, when we talked about it right at the beginning, I found how this person separated their gym experience from their yoga experience. Um, interesting. So they're obviously getting something else from yoga. And I, I could make some guesses. I could make some presumptions. And the presumptions might be this, uh, that their yoga practice is a bit more sacred to them, so it has more sacredness to it. There's a bit more internal spirituality. By no means do the Fire Shaper Studios that I own try to impart any religious or spiritual beliefs upon anyone. One of the main goals is to help you to find your ultimate edge, to release from within you the power that already resides in there. That's one of the goals not to um, preach to you some type of religion or some type of spiritual belief that will then somehow transform you into some other being. That is not the purpose. And hence, we do not practice like that. And we do not 
um, share that type of information at our studios. But sacredness is about your own individual spirituality, right? So what's sacred to you will vary from person to person. So my guess is, is that Sharon, your yoga practice is a bit more sacred and there's a dilemma there. And the dilemma might be maybe the supplements that you're using to amplify your muscle workout, cardiovascular thing here doesn't match the sacredness that you're experiencing there. So you can look at that. And you could change your workout supplements for, and change how you feel about them if you get the right ones to align with the sacredness. And then it could take care of your physiology. Or you can change your yoga practice because there's some of the practices where it's not necessary to have a pre-workout supplement. You don't want your heart um, beating more. You don't need the fuel in your muscles for the type of practice that you're doing. Like a yin practice, for example. That may not be appropriate. So a yin class is, is like a class where you might do 10 postures in an hour, maybe 12, but you're holding them for a long period of time. You could be holding a posture for two minutes or five minutes, more or less, plus or minus throughout the class. And it's more restorative in a sense that it's about recovering. It's about unwinding deeper tissues in the body. So it's a, got a more um, of a healing effect in a sense or rehabilitative effect or uh, a deeper sort of uh, release type of effect. And it's much more relaxed class where it, it wouldn't make sense to take pre-workout pre supplements in a class like that. They don't, they don't match. The goal of the class doesn't match the goal of the supplement. So there, there you would have a conflict. So you shouldn't use them. However, in that class, it would be appropriate to use post-workout supplements because it is a healing class. And so after class, no matter what level, you're doing a yoga practice and that's a hatha practice. That means it's a forceful yoga practice. And doing this forceful yoga practice, it requires you to force your tissues to do the things that you want them to do, which means repair. And so after your practice, you've got to repair. Post-workout supplements seem appropriate then. Amino acids, different types of uh, micronutrients, minerals, so on and so forth that help you to repair your body faster. I mean, science is amazing. I, the one thing I love about science is that it works. When you find something that works from... For most people, it will mo work for most people. It doesn't mean it's going to work for all people. And we have that variety there to keep us honest. So, Sharon, I hope that helped answer your question. Let's go to uh, someone else. Oh, Jennifer. Martina. Jennifer. Okay. I'm not sure I'm ready to answer this question. Let me see what other questions we have here. We've got David, Danielle. Kelly. Um, okay, let's uh, answer David's question. David says, I have had knee pain now for a long time, and it is affecting everything that I do. I've had uh, MRIs, uh, magnetic resonance imaging. That's the big machine you go in where it makes an image of your soft tissue. And other tests, and all have come back pretty good with only minor issues. So... I guess what I'm getting from that, David, is that mm, the issues that came back in your testing, the doctors didn't correlate with the, the level of pain that you're experiencing or the problem that you're experiencing. Do you have any suggestions? Knee pain. Okay, got it. All right, David. So uh, I like knees and knees like me. <laughs> um, the knee is a really uh, amazing joint. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a big joint, and it has a lot of 
uh, pros and cons. Uh, so one of the pros is is that it's uh, it's strong and it's um, got two strong big bones to support it. So it's a bigger joint. And one of the cons is is that your knee is the in-between joint between two bones that are very long levers. So what that means is, is that the top bone, which is the femur, so here's your knee. Well, let's say my elbow is the knee. And you have the top bone, which will be the femur. So that's down here. You can't see the knee joint. And then you have the shin bone and then your ankle and your toes, right? So similar to a hand. Similar, right? In a way. Not the same anatomy, obviously. So the shin and the femur are very long. And they are very long levers. So that means there is a lot of leverage on your knee joint. And the knee is the fulcrum in between two long levers. And so hence, knee pain and knee problems can scale very quickly to become big issues. And it's quite, not easy, but um, common to injure your knee um, because of those levers. So the knee joint by itself is a very, very simple joint. You've got a bone on the bottom, a bone on the top, and a flat cap bone, called your kneecap, in the middle. And really, that's it. There's not much else. So three bones, essentially, that integrate to make up your knee joint. Let's consider the tibia, fibula, um, one, one bone, okay, because they're close. Maybe. We can, you can think about them as two, but let's think about them for now as one, just for argument's sake. Lower bone, upper bone, kneecap. Simple, right? But it's a complicated joint because it doesn't just hinge. It also screws, so it has to screw together and screw open as it opens and closes. So it's a twisting motion and a bending motion. So it's not a simple hinge, it's a combination joint. And um, see, the knee by itself, it doesn't have as many problems as you think. Now, it can get to a lot of problems, but let's start at the beginning of any good knee joint. So at the beginning of any good knee joint problem, um, are influences. And so most of the influences on the knee joint come from two places. The most popular place to influence the knee joint and create a sensation of pain is from your hip, your sacrum, pelvis, and your lower back. So from the top. The second most popular place is going to come from the bottom up, and that'll be your foot and your ankle, where there's a lot of bones there are a lot of complicated integrations in both of those. Now, the pelvis is way more complicated than a foot, but those two places will impact the knee because the muscles that attach to them also attach to the knee. So a muscle might originate in a pelvis and then attach to the knee, knee and cross the knee joint, and vice versa. There could be a muscle on the bottom that attaches down into the foot, which then comes up to imp impact the knee or even cross the knee joint. And it's these, um, this influence that creates an influence in your knee. And if your knee itself doesn't have any you know, structural issues, well, you have to look at its influencers. So I have a lot of su success with knees. Um, and we're talking about knee issues that aren't necessarily dramatically chronic. And we're talking about people do, that don't necessarily have a lot of ongoing damage. So we catch them kind of early. Um, there hasn't been a lot of surface damage. That means there's not a lot of tissue damage. There's not a lot of meniscal damage. There's not a lot of like ligament and tendon damage, right? 
and um, and you can make an impact to these things by by addressing the influencer. So if you think about the pelvis, you know, like a puppet. You have a puppet, puppet, and a puppeteer, right? And the puppeteer has this like elaborate sort of web of wires that it holds onto that controls the puppet from the top down. So the puppeteer can move these elaborate pieces of wire and the puppet will do different things. So in this example, your knee is the puppet and your pelvis is the puppeteer. Pelvis is the puppeteer. And the muscles along your thigh are the wires. And so when your pelvis and your hip and your sacrum and your lower back are out of sync, well, then those wires on how they pull on your knee are also out of sync. And, and generally, it ha- will happen on both sides. But often, you'll have pain reside mostly on one side. And that has a lot to do with how people use their bodies. It has to do with what their dominant side is or their non-dominant side is. It has a lot to do with uh, pre-existing conditions. There's a lot of factors that are, are come, come into play here. So your pelvis might be impl- influencing your knee or your foot might be influencing your knee. And hence, maybe you need to look at those uh, to see if you can solve your knee problem. Because there's not a lot of stuff in the knee that's going to cause pain. I know that there are things that can. Um, but all in the years of my experience, uh, even when there are, like torn menisci or uh, um, uh, injured ligaments or tendons, it doesn't necessar- necessarily equate to pain all the time in your knee. So you can have all those issues still and be pain-free, which is still, it's still pretty good if you're functional, right? It's only when you get to an elite level that your menisci and your ligaments and your tendons, you, you have to make sure you have 100% patency in order to be able to perform the things that you're asking yourself to perform at an elite level. Otherwise, you can have some of these you know, subtle injuries that have happened chronically over the years that you've semi-recovered from and maybe are permanently injured. They don't regenerate. The tissue doesn't regenerate for you at all, if not if not well, or if not at all. You can have all those and still not have extraordinarily complex knee pain. You can feel rather comfortable, um, have full mobility. You may not even notice it at all. Um, however, I do notice that a lot of pe- knee pain comes from the pelvis, the lower back, the hip, and travels down to the knee. And then it's referred pain, and it could be in the tissue itself. You know, Ida Rolf. Ida Rolf was this uh, brilliant woman who created this thing called the Rolfing Technique. It's a very deep tissue, deep tissue fascial work. Um, anyway, she always said the issues are in the tissues. And what that means is, is uh, tissues can hold the issues by exploring the tissues and getting some of those issues out. Then you'll also have um, less pain and experience a far greater sense of health um, with your own body, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, massaging the tissues, getting your pelvis looked at, getting your lower back looked at, getting your foot looked at by somebody who can adjust them, realign them. Um, it may need a multidisciplinary approach, right? A chiropractor or a fascia work person who does body work. could be a Rolf or an integrative, uh, ther- in- in- integral therapy person, um, acupuncturist. I mean, the list goes on. Just find people that you can come into your team and assist you and, and, and look at your, your body from a different perspective. I mean, I've seen some, some really miraculous things, and I've seen some uh, really amazing recoveries from knee conditions that people thought that they could never recover from. 
and I think maybe in the last 25 years that I've been practicing, uh, there's not that many people you can't help at least a little bit, okay? At least a little bit, if not a lot. And by looking at those other areas, only because the knee is limited in its capacity to have many problems that create tremendous pain. Um, once you, you have a problem, let's say it starts when you're 20, 25 years old, it'll eventually continue on having a dysfunction. And when it's not functioning well, when it's in dis-ease and dysfunctional state where it's not moving appropriately, well, it's just like any other machine. It's, it'll wear out. It starts to wear out. And then if you were to take an x-ray of it, you're going to see those effects like you would see that in an x-ray. You'll see that wearing out over time. And that could be arthritis, could degeneration. It could be the wearing down of menisci. It could be the tearing of ligaments, the um, wearing out of tendons, and the loss of synovial fluid, the, um, the gain of these free bodies of bone and chips and so on and so forth. So you'll, you can see that over time, and some of it can be reversed. So I think uh, you've got to look at your knee joint from a different perspective. I'll give you an example. I, a, it might be a poor example, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting example nonetheless. Um, I think it was about 20, 22. I was about 22 years old, and I had knee pain in my left knee. I had a lot of pain in my left knee, and it was chronic. It was all the time, and I remember... Um, it, uh, very distinctly because I was driving from New Jersey to Georgia, or was it, no, it was Georgia to New Jersey, and it was wintertime, and my, uh, I had this, you know, this, like, old Ford car, can't remember the type it was, it was a blue, <laughs> not that it matters, um, but the heat was broken, and I'm driving in the wintertime, and man, my left knee was in so much pain, uh, my, not my right one, the left one. And it was because I was already suffering with pain. And, the, and with the cold, because your knee doesn't have a lot of meat to keep it warm, there's a lot of vascular um, movement. There's a lot of vascular, uh, uh, there's a lot of blood flowing through the kneecap itself, right? And, and that blood can be, you know, constricted and slowed down because of the cold quite easily just because there's not a lot of cushioning around it to keep it warm. So I was like, oh, I've got all this pain. I just remember it in my mind. And then it would come and go. Uh, but mostly when it was there, I, it, it was the same type over and over and over again. And then age 27, 27, 28, yeah, somewhere around there, uh, I remember I'm doing a hot yoga class. And... I remember I was laying on my back and I was hugging my knee, pulling it to my shoulder. And I was thinking, oh, my head, my knee is really hurting me. And then I had an awareness of the, my position. And in my awareness, I noticed that my tibia, which is the lower bone, was rotated and angled out. So I used, uh, I just thought, okay, well, let me fix that with my muscles, not with my hand, but my, my brain. And I triggered muscle tissue to change the alignment of the tibia to rotate it back to center and then draw it back in alignment so that it had, was well vertically aligned. And it was like this. Pain went away. And from that moment on, I never had that pain back. Now, that's considerable. Many, many years with that same similar knee pain. Now, my problems didn't disappear. That pain disappeared. 
From that point on, my awareness went up the body into my left hip, my lower back, my sacrum, my pelvis, so on and so forth. My commitment to finding answers and amplifying my life, right? Like my commitment is not to the pain. My commitment is to amplifying how I currently experience life. And for me, how I experience my physiology is relatively important. So my commitment to that made me search deeper, further, more and more. Now, the hip pain, low back pain, all of that, gone. And I'm onto something else, you know, because there is no finish line, right? So David, keep going, find some other people who can help you. And, you know, you may not find the right mechanic at first or coach. So you have to keep looking, like don't stop looking. And, and don't just go to one type, right? So often people go to an orthopedist my orthopedist and i take great ownership of my orthopedist is the uh, orthopedist is the best because my orthopedist works on such and such sport person or such and such sport team but then they still have pain so they're stuck on one person so yes you need an orthopedist at times but maybe you need something else so look in, look into other areas and when you go to see these people, these are professionals that, are, that you're paying, right, for their opinion and for their work, okay? So they're either working on you and sharing their opinion, working on you with no opinion, or just sharing their opinion. What are they doing? And then look at your relationship. When you leave there, how do you feel? Does the information that they're sharing with you make sense? Does, um, do you feel like there's any kind of improvement? Do you feel like there's any type of hope? Now, if you don't feel that, then maybe you don't work on that with that person. Maybe you find someone else. Maybe you try them for a little while and see if there's any result. And if not, try someone else in the same field, a different field. Maybe you do more than one. And uh, I, I could remember as a chiropractor in New Jersey, working with patients it was very um, common for me to have a patient who came in from another person, um, been working with somebody else, maybe like a phys physio, phys physical therapist, or fi if you're in Australia, that's a physio or orthopedist or um, just some other person in the healthcare field. And, um, and I would encourage that person. I said, okay, well, let me look at what's going on. And, and, and I can tell you if you're in the right place, if I can help you, if I can't help you, how much I can help you. Sometimes I could help them. 100%. Sometimes, you know, they needed other people. Um, inevitably, if they were coming from me and then there was somebody else, it was often the case that the other person, whoever that someone else was, would say, just do what I'm doing. Don't do all the other things because then you won't know what works. I thought, that's kind of weird. Why, why are you saying that? Like, what's the point? What does it matter? Who helped you? provided that you got help. Oh, I understand. Because the person that's trying to help you wants some level of significance for being the one to help you. At the end of the day, does it really matter? If you had three or five different people or one person helping you and you got the result that you're looking for, at the end of the day, does it really matter what it was exactly, who it was exactly? What if you can't quantify that it was one single person that was the most important person in your path to your ultimate outcome? What if in order for to get to your ultimate outcome, you needed the input of those three people? What if? 
So I always encourage people to test things, test theories, even mine. Stress test them. See if you can find the fault. And then see what kind of result you get from that. Take the information in. You'll learn something. The worst case scenario, you learn something. You'll grow a little bit. You know. Anyway, David, good luck. Okay, let's move on. Okay, we thought Sharon's. Okay, let's go to Jennifer. And this is Jennifer. Because she gave, Jennifer gave her last name. Not everyone did. Jennifer Kazorzi. Sorry if I butchered your last name. <laughs> hello. Well, hello. I would like to ask you how I can help people to be more aware of their health and mental emotions. I would like to become a life coach for people who needs help and make them happy because lots of people don't prioritize their health. And we are taking too many prescriptions rather than um, we're taking too many pres prescriptions rather than something after themselves. Oh, looking after themselves. Got you. Okay. Thank you for taking your time to read my thoughts. Well, you're welcome, Jennifer. And, uh, and great question, by the way. Um, the whole life coach thing is in a very amazing industry. Like it's a pretty cool industry. There's a lot of people doing some wonderful things for other people. Um, some people not so much, but I mean, the majority are doing amazing, have amazing gifts to share. So, uh, well, it's, it's, it's obvious what it is that, that, that you kind of want here in a sense that... Um, you have had experience in life at some stage and there's something that you're seeing where you see people that are kind of separate from looking at themselves and thinking of, and, and rather than thinking of themselves as the, having the ability to make themselves better, that they're searching outside of themselves for a magic pill to solve all their problems. Um, and, 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 and as a, uh, I guess as a uh, uh, using it as something else other than putting the effort in to do the work to take care of themselves. So rather than work hard, um, I'll make this decision here to have this prescription, and that may solve my problems. Um, Jersey Gregorik, look this guy up. Jersey Gregorik, it's a Polish gentleman. I think his uh, his uh, it's called the Healthy Body. I believe he wrote a book, but I heard him. Um, in a uh, podcast one time, having a conversation, I forget, I think it was with Tim Ferriss, and uh, he said, e easy decisions equal hard life, hard decisions equal easy life. You can say that in your head in your best Polish accent, um, but I think the message is brilliant, Jersey. Uh, it's easy on the outside to say, I'll just pop this pill and everything will go away. It's hard to say, okay, well, I'm going to go see a team of people. I'm going to start with this person. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to take an extra 15 minutes at night instead of watching TV or instead of doing something else. I'm going to take this time to work on my body. I'm going to go to a seminar. I'm going to go grow somewhere. I'm going to go um, take somebody's four-day, two-day, one-day course, three-hour course to learn something new, to grow something new, to put the effort in so that I can live a better life. 
That's a tough decision. So Jennifer, how can you help people become more aware of their health and mental emotions? Well, I suppose the first way is to speak to people. Find an outlet. You know, look at what I'm doing here. This is podcast one of Amplified Living with Dr. John. And, uh, you know, this is an effort to share my information with more than one person. Maybe you start with one person. So the easiest way is just to start. The tough way is deciding when and how to start. Um, and there's, there's easy and simp there's simple ways. It's not easy, right? Because it's always a t tough decision to take the time to spend the money, time, money. What are the three big, biggest excuses in life that prevent people from becoming the best version of themselves. Are you ready? The three biggest excuses in life that prevent people from becoming the best version of themselves. These are the most popular ones. Are you ready? Here you go. I don't have enough money. Number two. Yeah, I think you're saying it already. I don't have enough time. And number three. Number three is a tricky one. Number three revolves around ultimately, I am not good enough. Or if you, if, you really, if you really funnel in on that one, I'm afraid that I won't be loved. So the whole I'm not good enough, I'm afraid that I won't be loved one. I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too dumb, I'm too smart, I'm too much of a man, I'm too much of a woman, I'm too much in between. I'm uh, too short, I'm too tall, I'm too uh, purple, I'm too pink. You get it? Like, there's an excuse. And it roughly has something to do with the person somehow not being good enough in some way. Which ulti ultimately, if you filter that down, has something to do with that person feeling like that if they were to do something like that, that they would not be loved, that people would criticize them, that they would not find what they're sharing as important. And uh, yeah, man. Jennifer, people will criticize you. You're not sitting straight enough. You're not loud enough. You're too loud. You didn't comb your hair. You should take better care of yourself. I mean, I mean, it could just, the list could go on and on. And you will get criticized. And then you'll have supporters. Um, okay, so the simple methods. Well, the first thing that I would recommend if you haven't done this, it's the first and, th and the most effective way to help other people is to help yourself. So find somewhere that you can go to learn to grow. And it should interest you. It should take you in that journey. This is something, obviously, of personal development, self-growth. Um, it could even be if you've done those things. Now, if you haven't done those things, I recommend starting there first. I don't recommend thinking to yourself, hey, I, like I see this, I see this um, need in the industry where people aren't taking themselves care of themselves and I take care of myself and I've learned a few things here and there and um, I am you know, aware of this all happening. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump straight into a life coaching program. Maybe, maybe, depends on the program. If it was me, um, I'd first start with a you program, you know, start on you. Um, do something for you first where you're going to go that interests you, where you can grow. 
Now, if you've done that already, and maybe you've done that twice, three times, four times, 10 times, 20 times, then maybe it's really, really appropriate for you to go something very specific to the life coaching, personal development type of avenue um, to explore what they have to say because these are people who've done it. You know what they say? There's a, a, a saying that says, that goes like this, stand on the shoulders of giants. So look for somebody in that industry who's currently doing it and doing it in a way that you love and then do what they're doing or research them a little bit and start where they started. Because the worst case scenario is you just get started and you discover, I don't want to do this like this. I want to do it like that. You might say to yourself, I can do it better. That doesn't, that's not necessarily really what that is. It's really, I'm not sure I want to do it your way. I feel like if I do it this way, it'll be better for me. Okay, not better in a sense where you're comparison, comparing yourself to the other person because um, that'll just steal your thunder. You know, comparison is like a thief in life. It just takes everything away from you if you start comparing yourself to other people. You doing it better than the other person or them doing it better than you. Um, rather, you'll find a way that works better for you because it's just better for you because that's the kind of person you are. So w- the first thing I would do is go to a coaching program, okay? Because there'll be techniques. There'll be a step-by-step process. Do a little research. Maybe find out if you like their step-by-step process. Maybe trial a life coach who has done their program and see what you think. See how they work and see if that appeals to you. One of my uh, good friends, uh, shout out to Scott Harris. Scotty, I love you, brother. You just had a birthday prior to me shooting this podcast out. Uh, But he runs an incredible program for life coaching. Um, Yeah, he's got uh, an an amazing uh, opportunity. Anything that you want from just the weekend seminar to ongoing long-term learning, okay? Where you deep dive immersions into, you know, creating a valuable, not just a process for other people, right? But creating a value process of abundance for yourself, right? Because something like this is great if you just want to share information with other people. Um, To make it sustainable, you probably have to make it profitable, right? Because otherwise it becomes a labor of love and then you become more focused on making profits in your other sidekick and not what you're truly passionate about. So that gets to be a bit tricky. And, um, and if you think, because a lot of people do, creating a profit out of what they love, like say coaching other people and then having the charge for it. Because how many people have, how many people are out there that have a business and have a hard time invoicing for their services or delay their invoicing? It's a really popular issue, right? So um, that particular challenge has to do with your you know, relationship with money and value and abundance and how you're creating it. Uh, so yeah, so find a program. I guess... Uh, that also could be if you've done life coaching programs, then you found your way. And let's say, Jennifer, you're a great life coach. Let's say your service is amazing, extraordinary, right? You have an extraordinary service that you provide. Well, what are you missing? The two pieces, marketing and innovation. Which one? So if you're not innovating right? Which it doesn't sound like it to me. 
Not yet, anyway. Innovation comes from learning, growing, and then sinking some time into the process that you're doing and, and then learning from it and then innovating that process and creating something new. Um, but the second thing, marketing, it may not be your forte. It may not be your, it may not be your thing. Let's talk quickly about your nature as a person, okay? Because we all have, and I'll talk a lot about someone's nature, um, who you are. Like, what does your DNA do to you that is almost unstoppable? It's an unstoppable force because that's how you are. We're not talking about an education thing. We're not talking about an exposure thing, an environmental thing. We're talking about your inherent nature about who you are. And that ain't going to change. I mean, you can, you can improve certain parts of your nature, but relatively speaking, who you are in the world is who you are until you increase your vibration in the world, which then shifts who you are. Let's talk about where you are at the moment, where you're vibrating, what your nature is like. Because first, you have to know where you are before you can decide where you want to go. So one of the, what I want to talk about here on this is, are you, let's go three categories. Are you an artist? Are you entrepreneur? Or are you a manager leader? Who are you? Actually, I want to know what your primary one and what your secondary one is. So here's an artist. An artist is someone who loves to create just for the sake of creating. Oftentimes, they just create stuff just out of nowhere. They feel terrible in one day, and they're just like, I feel terrible today. And then they go and create something. It could be cook something. It could go like clean something. It could go make something. It could be um, uh, like I'm an artist by nature. My first primary is an artist. An artist, you're just a creator, okay? Um, the other one that I, I, second category, which is they're not in order. I could say in, in them in any order, okay, is an entrepreneur. Um, I, say that, I say them in this order because this is my order, okay? An entrepreneur is somebody who's willing to take risks, and they have um, a level of separation, too, from those risks. They're, they're willing to push the envelope. They're willing to t put all of it on the line. Maybe not all of it, but most of it. Um, win or lose, the entrepreneur keeps going, right? They're not stopped by losing. Now, I'm not talking about like losing at it like a blackjack table. That's not entrepreneur. That's a gambler. That's a problem, okay? We're talking about like somebody who... They try a business venture and it doesn't work and they do what? They go straight on to the next business venture. That's an entrepreneur. And then the manager leader. A manager leader is all about other people, other people. They can't wait to motivate other people into action. They love their team. They, 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 rile, they, they, they rally people up behind them to generate momentum. They can't wait to sort of give somebody things to do. They can't wait to be the person at the top. To, who, wants to be, who wants to lead the team? Put your hand up. And they'll put their hand up. I'll lead it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'm good. I'll, I'll do it. And they go right away. Hands straight in the air manager leader. So what's your primary? Now, chances are you're life coachy. It's a really good chance artist, but I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to tell you, tell you what you are. Okay. But okay. Let's go with my example for me. I'm an artist. Number one, I love to create for me. My chiropractic is an art. Creating this podcast is an art. And so I'm my happiest when I'm creating something. Whether it gets me results or not, which is really interesting. 
And my second is an entrepreneurial type of brain. I don't mind taking risks. I have some caveats with that. Like there's some give and take, but um, I, I'll move on to things. If I fail at something, it's like, okay, man, we failed. Let's do something else. Um, because as you're going on the road to success, failure is a natural consequence of success. So you have to kind of grip that. And an entrepreneur gets it. An entrepreneur has, an entrepreneur has no issue really with that whole pro, with that whole process. They're just like, yeah, ooh, let's, I know this already. Let's move on. And I'm most weak at being a manager leader. So I'm going to say, let's make believe you're an artist, Jennifer, and you're trying to help people. And what you really need is an entrepreneur, okay, to help motivate things into action. Or if you're an entrepreneur and you're willing to take risks, but you're just not knowing how to do it, well, you need to find somebody who can manage you and then lead you on your way, which is a program, right? And it could be a marketing program. So maybe what you need is if you've done the life co coaching program, you're an exceptional life coach, you're willing to go out there and do it, but you just don't know how. Well, then that's where the marketing people come into to play. So you might take a marketing. I just saw Brendan Bouchard has a, a marketing program on how to get a top-notch podcast, publish your top-notch podcast. I thought, how great is that? He's a he's a he's a, a gen, generally nice um, uh, person and uh, puts. I think he puts quality uh, content out there into the world. Um, but yeah, so there's a classic example of things that you can do to to create things for yourself. Okay. Ooh, ah, lots of questions. Um, I have. Sharon to David, Danielle, Danielle. Okay. Danielle says, I have been practicing yoga for a while now, and I don't feel like I'm improving very much. Help. Okay, sure. All right, Danielle. Um, I would love to help. And to do so, I would love to do one particular thing. I would love to expand your idea of yoga because yoga is very expansive, and I would like to expand that into almost anything. You pick it. I've been practicing mathematics. <laughs> I've been practicing hair cutting. I've been practicing chiropractic. I've been practicing massage. I've been practicing computer programming. I've been practicing CrossFit. <laughs> I've been practicing jujitsu. I've been practicing kung fu, karate. Um, you get it? So let's just expand that word yoga. I've been practicing baseball. I'm teaching my son baseball. I've been practicing basketball. I teach my kids basketball. Whatever you're practicing, you've been doing it for a while, and you don't feel like you're improving, and you would like to get help. So everything has a bit of a, a price to pay. And remember my three most famous excuses. I don't have, what, enough time, enough money, and somehow I'm not good enough, okay? And I'm unloved, okay? So how um, do you make the shift? So when you're practicing, and this is anything, really, um, there's a very distinctive process that you can go through, and you can force this process um, just by going through the steps. It's, it's really that simple. You don't have to think about it very much. All you have to do is do it. And then if you do it and 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 do it, 
you can do it again. And by doing it again and doing it again and do it again, you suddenly start to see results. And so this is what I mean. This is what you have to do. The first thing is you have to immerse yourself in whatever you're doing. Okay. So, excuse me. Uh, you have to immerse yourself in the learning or the practice of whatever you're doing. In your case, Danielle, you're practicing yoga. I'm assuming you go to Fire Shaper because this is from one of my Fire Shaper students. So, because it came through one of the forms that my students um, uh, get and got, had gotten in an email. That's how I know. So, okay. So, it's really, really simple. If you're just doing classes right now, you can go the slow way or you can flick on the turbo boost and go the fast way. At any time, you can slow down and go faster. That's your choice. Momentum has its privileges, okay? Slow and go, uh, going slow has its privileges as well. My son the other day said to me, my son, he, he just turned six. So when he was five, not long ago, um, he said to me, Daddy, slow and steady wins the race. I said, who told you that? He goes, I just learned it. I go, don't tell your mom that because she goes, she wants to go fast all the time. <laughs> and he said, oh, okay. <laughs> so um, sometimes going slow, okay, but momentum does have its privileges. So what I mean by momentum is that when you're in momentum, do your best to stay into momentum until something starts to slow you down or drift your attention away from where you are in momentum and then continue on. And here's what I mean. So at the moment, you're practicing classes, I assume. So you're coming to class. It could be one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six, seven days a week, right? And you can amplify your practice in any way that you choose. One way could be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change from once a week to twice a week. Now, that's the slow way. You want to go faster? Ramp it up to five. Now, you don't have five days a week. I don't have five days a week that I can practice yoga. I've got other things that I want to do in my life. So I don't practice five days a week. I do some sort of yoga every single day. But let's say I actually go to my physical hot yoga studio and do hot yoga. Or we're in, the, in, in a room right now called my dojo. It's uh, been a labor of love made out of 90% recycled materials, right? So we have a hot, it's a hot yoga studio as well. And uh, it's a training room, hence dojo. We'll call it the mountain house at my property. And uh, yeah, I can come in here and practice, but every day I do something, okay? Um, so if it's not classes, if you're like, look, I'm maxed out twice a week, I am literally maxed, I'm not, there's no more. I wanna get better and doing more classes a week's not my option. I said, okay, cool, well then go to step two. You have to amplify, you have to amplify. Amplify means you have to step up the level of vibration where you are. Where you currently are vibrating, get to the next level of vibration. You don't have to go from here to here, but you can go from here to there. How do you do it? Immerse yourself into something. So pick something. At, at Fire Shaper, we often have workshops that come through. Maybe once a month, except for the holiday months, the, like the Christmas time and, and so on. A workshop is great. It could be two hours, three hours at length, and you can immerse yourself into an experience. Like I often do a hip opening one. I do a oneness workshop. It's an experience. So you're immersing yourself in that experience. When you immerse yourself in that experience, the first thing that happens is that you amplify the learning curve. And there's many reasons. 
One of the big reasons is, is that you put yourself in a field where there are other people vibrating at a frequency that are also there to amplify their experience. So the field that you're in, so this area, this localized space that your energy is occupying is vibrating at a higher potential. That amplifies learning to some degree in every single person, okay? You can be resistant to it, right? But if you're not resistant to it, if you're open to the fact that you might learn something, you will. And that will change how you then there practice from that point forward. Now, people often say, I don't see how that workshop is going to change how I practice. Just do it. Do it and then talk to me later. Because it will. It'll change something. You'll have a thought, a feeling, a sensation while you're in that. If you're doing jujitsu and you're practicing jujitsu, I like jujitsu. If you're practicing jujitsu on a regular basis and you haven't done a jujitsu workshop, you haven't done an immersion, get in there and do one. Because next time you're rolling with somebody, there will be a lesson that flows through you from that workshop experience that'll just, at that moment, will click. When it clicks, you're going to grow. So that's the first step. Workshop it. Second step. Amplify the workshop. Go to something that's a bit stronger. Go to something that's more intense. Go to something that requires a higher level of commitment from you. You know, it's easy. Luckily, you can complain all that people want to complain. I complain. <laughs> Except when I complain, I kind of I kind of know certain things, and I think to myself, oh, that was a dumb complaint. I don't have the time. Okay, well, let's make the time. Okay, well, because this is something I really want. What do you want more? Not having it or having it. Okay, I don't have the money. Oh, well, I'll have to make the money. If I want to do it, I'm going to have to find a way to create that abundance, to, to put it on the side to make it happen. Okay, I don't think I can. Well, just do it and we'll find out. You know, even if you rock up to a workshop and you say, look, I suck. But I'm, uh, I'm here anyway. Do you think I'll be okay? <laughs> I guarantee you the person running the workshop, and this is me, I don't even know who in the person is or where you're going to go. You will probably get more from that by saying nothing. Okay, because people are doing those things because they want to help other people. That's why they're doing them. Especially if you pick the right one. Okay. Um, so amplify your workshop, which means you're generally going to have to pay more for it. It's going to be more intense. It's going to be longer. Instead of three hours, it might be all day. Instead of one day, it might be two days. Instead of two days, it might be four days. I have, I'm, I'm traveling to America shortly um, for a four-day program called RQU, Release the Quantum U. That's a four days, man. Four days of deep dive. It's not a joke. We're in it to win it. We start from nine. We go till nine, sometimes 10. Last day, we don't get out of there until 11, 1130 at night. And we go the whole day. And we go until we get the results for everyone. So everyone walks away with something. Even the ones that convinced they're not going to have a breakthrough sometimes have the biggest breakthroughs. But it costs more costs more time it costs more money it costs more effort from you so you have to amplify that so go next level stuff you might go to one and you think to yourself that was a total waste of my time well it wasn't because now you know what you don't like so now you'll find something more appropriate next time don't give up on the process just because you had one bad, bad experience the process works Immersions, deep dive immersions, they work. That's, that's the way to do it. 
just because you had a bad one, what's the chances? I have chickens outside the mountain house. You haven't seen them. They haven't come up on the, uh, on the deck. But uh, the other day I was uh, working with somebody and the chicken came out and looked at me in the mirror and clucked. I thought, <laughs> interesting. Anyway, all our food scraps go to them. We feed them. We took care of them, water. They got a big pen. Nothing better than free-range eggs. And you can get a lot. But if you're buying them in the store, what you don't know is that they come out in all different sizes and colors. We have green ones and blue ones and light brown and white ones and dark brown. And um, occasionally not a good one comes through. So occasionally there's one that's not good. Because production has done the work for you. They've said, buy the small ones. Here, buy these are extra large. These are just large ones. These are the white ones. These are the brown ones. These are the blue ones. They do the work for you, so there's no surprises. And then they test them all. They use lights, whatever else they use to decide whether the egg is good enough internally in quality to sell it to us, the consumers. But when you're growing them and they're hanging out in your backyard, not all of them are awesome. So sometimes you don't, you, you know, do you give up on eating eggs just because you crack one and it was like, oh, what's this? Now, no baby ones in there. Just not, don't get your mind all distraught. You don't have any roosters now. These are all infertile eggs. Um, but still, there's some that are no good. So do you give up? No, you don't. You keep going. I'm like, I love the eggs. Keep going on the eggs. Um, great nutrition especially the free range. Amplify. Start with workshops. If you've done the couple hour experiences, ramp it up to day experiences, to multiple day experiences, to week experiences. And then eventually you find yourself in an ongoing training of some sort. Now, the training from, let's say, a six-day or a four-day workshop, it's not much different except you commit yourself to ongoing learning for a period of time. So we do it at our yoga studios. And Danielle, you go to our yoga studios. So you've asked specifically about the yoga. And the reason why we have training programs and workshops is on is not because, um, it's not because we feel like we have, like, like we, we have to just because that's part of the business, right? We do it because we know that's what's, what's required to amplify a student. So when someone walks in our door, we have a level of responsibility. And our responsibility is keep them safe, show them how to be, how they can be better, okay, and help them grow. And in order to get them through that process, we have to have workshops and trainings to get them through that process because that's how you do it. Some people skip right to it. I've had students who have just started in th like three months of yoga, never did yoga in their life before. And then I was like, this is amazing. My whole life is different. I'm going to join you in your teacher training program that starts tomorrow. Literally, like paid the day before and then jumped in. And they did fabulous. Yes, we did give them the information. Now, they've only practiced yoga for three months. Yes, they did get the information. Yes, they are, are knowledgeful so that they could teach a basic level program, but they weren't in it to, to learn how to teach. 
They were in it to amplify themselves. So when we asked them, why do you want to do our teacher training program? They said, because I just got I want to get better. I'm like, of course you want to get better. This is exactly what you've got to do. And I'll tell you right now, there are people out there that will criticize me for saying, how would you let somebody do your teacher training program who just started yoga three months ago? It's simple, to help them be better. It's not about whether they can, they're going to go out and teach yoga and are they qualified. To do, they're knowledgeably qualified to teach yoga. But we have that conversation beforehand. We talk about it before it even comes and happens. They get a certification of completion and their practice is amplified immediately. They're on the fast track. That's not for everyone to do that. It's just a select few. And when it happens, it usually happens and it's right. Okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, we've got Kelly. Talked about David, Sharon. We did that already. Martina. Okay, Martina, this is a very short question, and all right, here it goes. What are your thoughts on Vipassana, 10-day meditation? Okay. Okay, just to clarify the audience, Vipassana, 10-day meditation is... Like somewhere what you go for 10 days and you're not allowed to talk to anyone, even yourself, out loud. And you shouldn't even acknowledge anyone else, like with eye contact. And so you're silent for 10 days. It's a 10-day retreat, a silent retreat, essentially. You eat healthy food, usually vegetarian or vegan, and drink lots of water. This is like a uh, emotional, structural detox. Not too much body physiology, but you don't drink wine or beer, no pot. You don't take magic mushrooms or anything like that. It's uh, it's just a ten day silent meditation retreat, essentially. So, in full disclosure, I've never done one. Uh, however, I know lots of people who have. Uh, yes, I have uh, a lot of friends that have done uh, Vipassana and uh, for various reasons. Some are hardcore uh, yoga practitioners who meditate all the time, practice all the time. They're teachers. They own studios. They run programs. Um, they're very much into the soulful practice of yoga. They have a spirituality about themselves inside that practice, and that's what they, they enjoy expressing that. I got friends that are high, high-impact entrepreneurs and businessmen that don't do yoga at all and um, do have done uh, and still do uh, these 10-day silent retreats to get their head on straight. Um, so, yeah, people from all walks of life will do this, business people. You don't have to be a yoga person. You don't have to be religious or spiritual in any way to not say anything. I haven't had a calling to do it myself. Um, can I go back to the nature of people really quickly? If you listened earlier, um, uh, like who you are as a person. Uh, let's, we talked earlier about an artist, entrepreneur. Are you a manager, leader? What are your top two there? We talked about that. So um, in this sort of arena, know thyself, right? 
Uh, are you intrinsic by nature or are you extrinsic by nature? So an intrins intrinsic person is um, the world happens here. The world happens inside of them. So to go to their happy place, they go like this. Inside. Their orientation is internal by nature. If you are an, an extrinsic person, so an intrinsic person feels the world in here, in their self, but an extrinsic person is obviously the opposite, right? They feel the world out there. To feel the planet, they have to reach out of the planet. When they go to their happy place, they have to go outside of them. So an intrinsic person is the one who's just happy to stay at home, read a book, have a, you know, snuggle in time at the, with their cats or their dog or their partners, and they're just happy to do that kind of stuff. They're, they don't say much by nature. They're not out there, jab, 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 jab. There's an extrinsic person wants to go out. They want to go to the party. They, they have a lot of FOMO, a lot of fear of missing out. So they want to get out there and they want to experience the world. They want to experience this new experience and that new experience. They want to talk to that person. They're busy talking to this person, that person, and that person. They're talking to them at the same time. They have four different conversations going on with five different people. And, uh, and that's how they live their life. So um, I'm an intrinsic person by nature. My core, at my core, my, uh, how I tend, my tendency, how I tend to live my life is to go inside. So I'm already busy in there. Um, I haven't been called to do Vipassana at this moment because I feel like I could easily not talk for 10 days. <laughs> it's the people around me that force me to, to talk. Um, but put me around people and, and have me share my gifts. And as you can see, I love to have a chat. Um, but I have to work at it, right? So even just getting here to do this, I could have easily just stayed in the office and finished what I was doing in the office and not talk to anyone. And that would have been great. So I personally haven't been called to this. Mind you, I do lots of things, right? I just haven't done this. Um, so as an extrinsic person, this would be a stretch. So for extrinsic people who need to feel the world, this would be really tough. But in the challenge, it's right at the, it's, it's at your edge where your challenge is where you experience the greatest amount of growth. So I'm not saying this is beneficial for only extrinsic people. I'm just saying how I explain that by your nature. Uh, are you intrinsic or extrinsic? If you know your nature, if you know who you are, right? You know what your pros are and you also know what your pitfalls are. You know what your advantages are. You know what your strengths are, but you know what your cons are. You know where your challenges lie. You know where your pitfalls lie. Like an in intrinsic person knows, yeah, that, um, that they withdraw inward, that they have to work at sharing their emotions, they have to engage with people, otherwise they, come, they may come across to other people in the wrong way. Um, that they have to put themselves in situations that causes them to reach out into the world. Otherwise, they're just going to fall prey to their own inner workings and problems, yeah? And, and extrinsic person, if you know that you're extrinsic, you know you have certain strengths and challenges, pros and cons. Your strengths are is that you interact with the world, right? You're at your best when the world is just... Was, is, is, is 
is really engaged with you. Yeah. But you also know that going within to find who you are is more difficult. That's one of the disadvantages. So you'll have a tendency to not do that. You won't meditate. Whereas an intrinsic person goes, hmm, meditation, let me see. And they'll close their eyes and go, I like it. Where an extrinsic person goes, what's happening? Someone around me? Who's staring at me? Someone's looking at me. I know it. What am I supposed to be thinking? They have a very difficult time turning their brains off. But intrinsic person has a very difficult time activating their brain. Okay. So if you know who you are by your nature, intrinsic or extrinsic, you know how you feel life, you can amplify that and you could also challenge yourself to grow more. Okay. Otherwise, you're just going to do what feels good by nature. So you'll just as a field, an extrinsic person could easily let their party and get out of control easily without beyond a, a shadow of a doubt. Uh, an intrinsic person could easily be, become withdrawn and, a, and, 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 and like go inside themselves and become secluded within themselves. Happiness is found outside at times. So an intrinsic person should ha force themselves to go outside because when they usually do, um, they're all of a sudden happy about it. They're happy they did it. They're happy they pushed themselves to their edge because it feels good. And vice versa, an intrinsic person, look, there's happiness on the inside. They have to go inside to balance them, but they often won't. They'll often avoid it. So um, or what are you, intrinsic or extrinsic? If you know who you are, you know how this is going to go for you. And then, then, you know, if you know what some of your pitfalls are, you know how to, how to ask for help when you go to set yourself up for these things. But I think it's great. I mean, look, if it appeals to you, just do it. What's the harm? You're going to learn something. In 10 days with no voice and no sound, you will learn something about something. And the reason why you ask the question is, is probably there's some fear. Is, you, might not, you might think, is it really worth it for me to do it? Um, if it's in your... If it's in your um, like like radar, then what's the what's the challenge? Just just go and, and put yourself out there and give it a go. And um, I I am sure whatever you come away with as an experience will help you as an individual because once you have that experience, you can't unexperience it. You can unlearn things, you could forget facts and figures and things and stuff, but you'll never unexperience something. So this experience could be you know amazing for you. Give it a go. Go for it, Martina. <laughs> okay, last one. What you don't know is my wife is outside patiently waiting for me on the deck. She's thinking, why is that guy looking at a camera? Okay, why is my husband doing that? Okay, last one. Kelly. Um, I suffer from depression. I have, uh, I've got bouts of anxiety and I can't sleep. I haven't slept in eight years or more. I heard about research on microdosing to help. What are your thoughts? Okay. Well, I have some thoughts that are. And maybe some will help be helpful in this. In this. I have a lot of thoughts. Maybe only a few will be helpful. But let's see what we can do. Um, first of all, let's um, disclose to everyone what she means by microdosing. So what she means by microdosing is psilocybin in general. It could be LSD, um, but it's uh, essentially taking 
ingesting micro doses of psychedelics. Um, you're not getting a psychedelic experience by taking a micro dose. Okay. And there's a lot of science of psychedelics at the moment. And um, people using psychedelics in uh, research to treat PTSD, anxiety, depression, so on and so forth. Uh, and and um, promising, there's some promising studies that are starting to come out. I have side thoughts about like the illegality. So the illegality, not the legality, the illegality of a mushroom grows in your backyard and then you eat it and you've done something against the law. So I think I find that rather weird and bizarre. Um, and only because you become, uh, well, I've learned about it and, you know, the pros and the cons. Uh, that you could, let's say, for example, let's talk about mushrooms because that's the most popular, psilocybin is the most popular thing to microdose. Uh, that would be your magic mushrooms, okay? And so you could overdose on paracetamol, okay, which is like a, like a, like a, I don't know, depends on what country you're in. They're all different stuff, Panadol, Tylenol in America. Um, aspirin, you can, you, can, you can overdose on those things and die dead. Destroy your organs easily. Um, and then by comparison, if you were to eat mushrooms, you could literally eat, other than vomiting yourself silly um, because you ate too much, there is no, uh, there is no amount that you, lethal amount that you can ingest of psilocybin. Same thing with LSD. You'll, you won't die. They've tried. There's no lethal dose. There's just a very hard trip. <laughs> um, so if you, in comparison, it doesn't, that part of it doesn't make sense. And, um, and it's relatively non-addictive. I'm not at this stage saying that I'm for or against. Just laying out facts. Often when people trip, they're not anxious to do it straight away. Occasionally they are, but usually after 12 hours of insanity, they don't really want to. Now, in disclosure, I got to tell you, I've never taken mushrooms. I have used other psychedelics in the past when I was younger, but uh, this is uh, not one of them that I've never done. And um, I, can t I can talk about why I never did it. I could say that, right? I the reason why I've never done it is because I thought inherently at a younger age, when friends were doing it in college, I thought to myself, I'm not sure I want to trip. And even though you guys are my friends, I'm not sure that you're the right people to be around when I'm having these, you know, visions of like amazing things that I'm supposed to be having. I never, I wouldn't feel like this would be the right environment to have those experiences in. I could have been wrong. It's just my own feeling about it all. I feel like people who do that stuff and actually do trip, scene and setting is very important. Who's your guide? What's around you? What is your purpose? Have you prepared for this? Blah, blah, blah. So, okay. So, Kelly, you're not happy. You're not sleeping. You're trying to find a one-shot cure to help you over a hump. So, I get that. One-shot cures don't necessarily exist. So there's a little work that I would recommend. So my thoughts are this. Do some work. 
Have you done work? You might have. So some personal growth work. Like for example, I was just talking earlier in the podcast about release the quantum you. That's just my program. There are hundreds of programs. What got me to where I am today? Tony Robbins. Unleash the power within. Date with destiny. Massively powerful. I've done each of his programs at least three times and I'll do them more. Um, do some personal growth programs. Look, context is, is important. Knowledge is potential power. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. Knowledge put into action is powerful, right? So first thing you want to do is you want to onboard some knowledge, right? So you can put it into action. If you don't have the knowledge and you're just going to start microdosing, your life doesn't necessarily get that much better. I mean, you could. You could think about, oh, I don't know much, but I feel I'm at one with nature now and that whatever happens to me is just flowing through me. And if that makes you happy, then great. But my thoughts are, amplify that. Create something even more amazing so that you can have a conversation with the universe, an intelligent conversation, so you can work things out. Give yourself some knowledge, some background. Know who you are by your nature. Are you intrinsic? Are you extrinsic? Are you an artist? Are you an entrepreneur? Are you a manager leader? Know who you are so that you can expand and amplify the effects of whatever you're doing. In this case, microdosing. Some research on microdosing is science way. So far, it's promising. I don't have it in front of me. You could do a little bit of fact-checking on for me. Um, obviously, that's a challenging industry. First of all, there's not a lot of cash flowing into it because there's not a lot of promise or return straight away, right? Because, you know, some of the research says people with um, some issues are finding themselves in like almost a remission phase within two to 12 trips and they aren't on medication for their whole life, which is significantly a different monetary model. There's not a lot of cash behind a couple of things that grow in cow poop. And, and being in the industry, I find that quite interesting, cow poop. Um, in this, interesting because, you know, yoga. You know, when I went, first went to India and I'm walking down the street and this cow is coming straight at me, I think to myself, there's a cow in the road. And it's going to run me over. And then around the corner, five more come around the corner and they start picking up speed. It's not something you can push them away. You got to get out of their way. Because people in India, they honor. It's sacred. Okay? And, and I find it quite um, funny because in my, my business, and one of my businesses is yoga, Fire Shaper, and we do trainings and we talk about um, a little bit of history. And, um, and you know, I have a, a hypothesis which I think is supported by many, many people. And, um, and it's about the stories of where yoga came from. And uh, if you know yoga and you know yoga history and tradition, they like to talk in stories. Uh, one of the stories is about where Hatha Yoga came from. It came from, and you can fact check me on all this stuff. I may be getting the names wrong, but the idea of the story is right. I'm pretty 99% sure I've got the name correct. But the, who, the person who's considered to be the founder of Hatha Yoga, his name was Garaksha. And um, he, uh, he's got this name because he was born from the cow poop. So if you think about that, so he created the posture. So if you think about that whole thing, people back then didn't have video, they didn't have like much to write on, they didn't have um, audio to tape. So they were telling stories to tell their story. 
And they tell the story of this person who's born from the cow poop. So born from the cow poop, what does that mean? My theory is that there were some mushrooms in there. Somebody ate them because they found that the cow poop is sacred because there was mushrooms in them from the past. So, you know, so this all happened already. So people are already consuming this stuff. That's why the cow is sacred. They consume this. They have this vision. The vision is created from this vision comes a yoga practice because this person's having a psychedelic experience and essentially their vibration is awakening to higher level. So they're experiencing a uh, awakening. And in that experience, out comes yoga which is not hard to do because that's the natural consequence of, of vibrating higher is that your body assumes postures and the assumption or the positioning of your body that naturally occurs from the way that waves of energy moves through it as it awakens to a higher frequency often looks like yoga. Or you might vice versa, say vice versa, yoga kind of looks like that, where it came from that. So... Uh, I wrote down a couple of talking points about this. Um, okay, so uh, those are my thoughts about mushrooms in general and uh, the importance that I think that they've had it in our society. And I think there's a lot of other references um, that, we could, that we could talk about. But in the interest of time, as my time is getting to the end, I wrote some notes here to talk about the pre-prep with info and knowledge and tools. So if you start to microdose, right, you need to know that's not going to solve your problems. Not necessarily. What it may do is stimulate your ability to be able to see a little bit more. Now, it doesn't cause you to hallucinate. It doesn't cause you to have a psychedelic experience. The idea is supposed to stimulate, the idea is that's supposed to stimulate neurons in a different way so that your brain function changes, so your computer changes just ever so slightly in micro amounts. And by changing these micro amounts, it allows you to be able to, be able to apply the, new, the, 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 newels, the knowledge and tools that you have. So if you have a, a small toolbox with you, a little handheld toolbox, you pick it up at like Kmart, and that's your toolbox of personal growth, right? And you start to microdose, and all you have available is that. Well, you might get some work done, right? You could probably do a lot with it around the house. But what if you had a whole shed full of tools? What if you had a tool for everything? Not everything. You can't really cover everything, can you? But what if you had just a great selection that you could choose from? Books of knowledge, tools to implement. And then you started to apply that. How would that amplify your experience in any way? Instead of going crazy, you could reason things. You can see and read in between the lines. So I think that's pretty powerful. So my suggestion is, is before you start the microdose, start growing. If you are growing and you want to experiment with it, find somebody who can guide you. It's obviously illegal in Australia. However, you could move to Denver, Colorado, and apparently it's legal. How's that? And Amsterdam, I believe, as well, and a few other places in the world. So but I'm currently in Australia, so Australians, it's against the law. Go figure. Don't grow mushrooms in your backyard. Um, one of the other notes that I had wrote was just that, to discuss pa um, potential um, uh, of to be guided by real teachers. So 
Yeah. So if you do choose to do it, you need to do it with people that are successfully doing it. That can give you the right information. Just don't go willy nilly, free willy, trying to just try it just because anyone says to do it. It's like one day you're watching TV and it says, take vitamin D3. You need it on the commercial. And so the first thing you do is go out and buy vitamin D3. Maybe you don't need it. Maybe you should get your blood done. Find out if you do. Then take it if you do. And don't if you don't. Or use it, you know, just as you need to. Anyway, um, yeah, be guided. Find somebody who's doing it. Stand on the shoulders of giants. Friends, until next time, live an amplified life. I hope you all do amazing. I hope you all feel great. And I can't wait to have another chat with you soon. Send your questions in. I'll do my best. Be well, everyone.